Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch and how you can discover this new level of softness with their iconic sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% responded that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They source the rarest 100% organic cotton for an incredible softness to start. Then they skip the toxins and harsh chemicals for a natural feel unlike anything else. And it all comes together with their signature weave. This special design feels buttery, breathable, and unlocks new levels of softness with every wash. And they stand behind their promise of softness. With their 30-night guarantee, you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. If during the 30 nights you don't love your sheets or feel them getting softer and softer, you can send them right back, no questions asked. So head to BolinBranch.com for 15% off your first order with code RESTFUL15. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Recorded live. All right. Good evening. I want us today, Saturday, April 23rd already. So we're here tonight with Bob Schaefer and John Gorla. And we're having kind of a little special call because we want to <clears throat> kind of talk a little bit more about the offer to pay, which is a very powerful process and a very powerful document that um, I think a lot of people are in need of. I think there's more people in need of it than realize it. And so, Bob, what I wanted to do tonight is maybe just have you go over a brief description of the offer to pay and the different scenarios that it will that it can be applied to and if we if we have enough people participating maybe talk about individual situations that people have that the offer to pay may um, apply to and talk about how it will um, address their situation so you know if somebody's got some kind of judgment and they're just you know sick about it you know how we can help them to remedy that and not have to worry about it anymore. Okay. I will I will get the background and then I'll let John fill in the details. We work together and very well. Um, you know, what this comes down to is the reason this got started anywhere, there is nobody uh, that I know of that is, is a teach, uh, has an offer to pay. Now, I, I know there's somebody in in Maine, I believe, that stole my offer to pay, and they're selling it now, but I guess that's a compliment until I get to sue them for, for, for breach of uh, copyright. Anyway, the, uh, the way I stumbled on this was that from uh, practicing, so to speak. You know, we're not supposed to say we practice law, but, you know, Doctors practice medicine, and uh, lawyers practice law. And, you know, when I was in real estate, they were honest enough to say, when they got the school, the school was honest enough to say, when you're through with this class, you will not know how to do real estate. You will know how to pass the test so that you're licensed to go out and learn how to practice real estate by doing it. And then you also will gain more through continuing education and seminars and book reading and what have you. And that's what happens. We learn by doing. 
and because I've been doing for 36 years, I've run across some arguments posed by the opposition that turned me on to this. And the argument was they would say, well, the this guy didn't even make an offer to pay. It was like, well, how did he know he was supposed to make an offer to pay? And that's the case on that. You have to make an offer to pay to, to trigger the certain procedures. And so I thought, well, then we will not make that same mistake. I started researching offer to pay in the um, Uniform Commercial Code, and I found that you don't need, need to have one red cent to make an offer. And you can make an offer to find out what it is you need to, to raise so that you can go in and pay it off or get it cleared up. And I also found that it's impossible to pay for anything. Today's law is such that you can only discharge debt. You cannot pay debt since the uh, Coinage Act of 1965, which is fairly recent compared to the Coinage Act of April 2, 1792. And the, the Coinage Act of April 2, 1792 is the only American law that ever defined the dollar, and it defined it as a coin uh, of a very precise weight, 371 and 4 sixteenths grains, and that's based on a grain of wheat. And the Coinage Act of 1965 specifically says this does not change the definition of a dollar. So with yeah, this background, I know it's impossible to pay anything, but you can still make an offer to pay because that's the word they use. In fact, people go to jail for not for not paying, <laughs> they're fine. And uh, so we could, that's all mentioned in our offer to pay. We cover all the bases. Um, <clears throat> The uh, IRS will come back and say, well, you can't, uh, uh, the argument that you have religious beliefs against uh, paying, you know, money to the federal government because they're going to go out and kill babies and women over in some foreign country, and you, so, and, you, and moral issues don't fly either, and there's court cases that say that. So we address that issue, too, in our offer to pay with the IRS. And uh, that we clearly say we don't have any problems with that. We All we want to do, you know, we're just good guys. We just need to know what the total amount is. We need to know. Uh, we want to have a verified accounting because of the numbers involved. I mean, some people, they send them a bill for $2 and $3 million. So we need to, we're asking them for a verified accounting, and they will not give you that. That's a default on their part. So default means discharge, according to the Uniform Commercial Code. So we're going to set them up to discharge the whole amount without you raising one red cent. So we make the offer to pay, and we but we need this accounting, and we do know, we also need to know what they are requiring. We and we specifically say we don't want to know what you will accept or may take as payment. We want to know what you are requiring, considering the Coinage Act of April 2, 1792 is considered the money of account for the United States. Now, every state, most states, I should say, have their own money of account, but we just primarily lean on the federal money of account because that's nationwide. Uh, California and Idaho have I've researched those two states. They have a money of account, but Oregon and Arizona do not have their own money of account. 
so we just use the federal government's money of account. So we want to know if it's a court case, we send it off and pay to the judge. The judge is the one that issued the order that you have to pay this judgment or this fine. So we just say, we really want to get this cleared up. We want a, a verified accounting of all rate fees and penalties and interest and whatever it is that will get this thing cleared up. We don't say, get it paid. So we, we use the right words here. And we ask them the three questions. One is, what are you requiring me to pay? And number two, by what authority can you require that? Because he might say, I'll require you to pay in Federal Reserve notes or checkbook money or credit card money, which they did not have in the early days of, of America. All they had was silver and gold coin. And that's what these laws refer to. You know, I hated history in high school and college, but that's where I find all my good stuff is in his historic documents, and that's why I have 9,000 of my own law books. One, I have two sets of 100 volumes of case law from 1658 to 1896. That's all common law, and it's just a treasure trove of, of good information of the way it used to be. And we can hold them to that because uh, what what they've done uh, illegally since uh, 1861, when uh, when the, all the representatives of seven southern states got up and walked out of Congress, they killed the, the the basic government that we've all thought we have. Now we have a corporate government, which stems from ten years. It took them ten years to get around to to incorporating Washington D.C. as the United States, not the United States of America, but the United States. And then the 14th Amendment made citizens of the United States, not citizens of the United States of America. See how important words and their meanings are. And so the, the freed slaves were citizens of the United States if they were going to stay. They were free to leave. You can go back to Africa, but if you're going to stay, you're going to be a citizen of the United States and you can reside, that's a commercial term, in any of the several states. But your citizenship is in D.C. And so, anyway, the three questions are, what are you requiring and by what authority can you require that? And they have no authority to require anything but silver gold coin. And then in case they say, well, okay, smart aleck, you're going to pay him silver gold coin. Then we, the third question is, and do you require everybody to pay what you just said I, you're requiring of me? That way they cannot, it's just discrimination from my knowledge if they, make me pay in silver gold coin. So they're really damned if they do and damned if they don't. They're in a box they can't get out of and it's their box. Uh, I had one judge say the court orders that the defendant may, <laughs> I love that word, may pay in Federal Reserve notes. That is not a requirement, is it? So I, I hit him back, but I didn't ask what I may pay. I'm asking what you are requiring, by what authority do you require everybody else pay him that medium of exchange? And it disappeared. So far, you know, for a long time I told people, well, the best one I got rid of was an IRS bill for $185,000. But recently I got rid of a Superior Court judgment for $186,000 and a bankruptcy court judgment for $1.8 million. We make the offer to pay to the judge. The judge defaults. We send them a notice of default. 
and an election to accept their default of the discharge, and they they don't ever raise their head again. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's so far it's, it's over. Now, this, this happened about three months ago, and in three months they haven't come back with any anything to counter that. So it looks like they've totally acquiesced. But uh, all of, that's how this got started. And what it's based on, I'll let John tell you all the different categories that we can make them out of the face. Basically, just a general rule of thumb that you can, if for some reason we don't cover everything, rule of thumb is whenever money is created from a signature, we we uh, discharge. We can discharge it. We do not discharge the money we borrowed from Uncle George that he worked hard for and loaned us in good faith. You better pay that back. Also, with uh, child support, I don't want to get involved in that. I think people should pay for their their children. But if it's in the arrears, you know, the kids are grown and gone, and, and, and the government just wants to get paid back from what they may have paid, we can discharge that one. So go ahead, John, and tell them the different categories we have. Now, thank you, Bob. I'd like to uh, just start and run down the list as it appears in my folder here. Uh, these... Uh, uh, I think the first one that most people have come to us for has been mortgage discharge. And we have a four-stage letter for that. Uh, what we first do is get the data from someone as to who the parties in interest are, or at least the parties who claim to be in interest. And then we write an offer to pay what is due. And uh, it's obviously uh, done in good faith. As Bob said, this is a setup to get them to default because there is no answer to these questions. Then uh, we have another one that if it's for, uh, if somebody has uh, used some other method in an administrative manner to try to discharge debt, uh, there are electronic funds transfers that were tried, there were acceptance for values that were tried. Those are all good faith offers to pay. So we have a five-stage letter. These, these letters are sent out first as a, a good faith offer to pay what is due, and then when they default or they answer and say, uh, we, we can't give you this, uh, then uh, we send out a notice of default and an opportunity to cure. That's done about 15 days after we send the first one, and another 15 days unless there's an urgency about it where somebody's going to court soon or whatever. And we can drop it down to 10 days, just get a couple of them in before the court date, and then continue to send them until they have four or five. Same is true with all the other things. We can send uh, two, three, four. Um, but um, let's go through the list here and see what we have. First, the... Uh, Credit card is something that we often hear about. The uh, judgment that's already been made by a court is beautiful, as Bob indicated. You, you make this offer to the judge and uh, ask, demand to know what they require. Uh, then we have, um, uh, let's see, the next one. Uh, the good ones are the state departments of revenue or franchise tax boards, as we have in California here. Now, I'm currently going through a fight with the franchise tax board in California. They tend to be pretty much as uh, tenacious as the IRS is. Uh, they don't seem to want to recognize that the Supreme Court of the United States has ruled on this many times, indicating that 
income is not defined as wages. It's defined as gain or profit on wages uh, or other uh, things that you have. So if you earn by exchanging your labor or your intellectual property for compensation, then if there's no additional value added to that, there's no gain or profit. It's an equal exchange of value. Set in a free market setting as a third party would do it. So these are all terms that we can use from court cases that support what we're we're claiming. And uh, we put that in the documents if we ever need to go to court to uh, uh, defend some of these these products that we offer. Uh, then, of course, there is the office of the IRS, as Bob's mentioned, and uh, traffic. That's always a good one. A lot of people. I was talking to a gentleman today who uh, is going to court soon, and he said, uh, "How do I handle this case?" And he was asked, "Well, did you uh, uh, challenge it within 72 hours?" That's really the best way to start. Is challenging any. Um, notice to appear that you receive from any agency, CHP or uh, sheriff or or uh, whatever it may be, the local police department. Uh, we also, uh, I just might add in this matter, we have citations in all of these things. And if people want these citations, uh, they're available. I'd be happy to send them out if you need these. I've got almost 1,400 citations in a spreadsheet that you can Search it for a keyword, and it will give you all iterations of that in different scenarios. Some of them will apply to taxes, others to court proceedings, others to uh, codes, and others to other matters. So there's a lot of value here by getting onto Ted's website and talking with us as uh, through the coaching system so that we can add this. Also, I think it's important that you understand when you have a situation that you're concerned about, the sooner you contact us, the better. Uh, we've done a couple of documents in a couple of days prior to a lawsuit uh, in, or a hearing date, I should say, in court. Uh, that's very rare because we've got a lot of people that we're working with, and we, we don't want to bump somebody else off that um, might need it also. So uh, we really appreciate when you can give us a couple of months warning if you can. And if not, the sooner the better. There are things you can do to stave off your your, your mortgage uh, uh, problems uh, if they're going to take you to sale. Same with other issues. Uh, you can go to bankruptcy court and hold things up until you get these things in place. In regards to foreclosures, which is the majority of the things we do, the there are two things you need to start with. Uh, in uh, January 12th of 2015, the Supreme Court, in one of its very rare unanimous decisions, nine to nothing, determined that the Truth in Lending Leg- Act, the TILA legislation as it's called, uh, was valid in that if you send a rescission on a loan, it does not have to be done within three days of signing of the document. That's the 72-hour right to rescind provision that they always tell you about. And they say, you've got three days to rescind this, so go home and think it over, 
I've never heard of one doing it uh, in three days, but I imagine there have been a few. And uh, so what the Supreme Court has held is that you have unlimited time to rescind a loan if you have not had full disclosure of the terms and conditions of that loan. And I don't know of any mortgage that's ever been closed in the lending process that uh, they were told, look, we're going to sell these off on the secondary market. We don't have any money funding this because we can't, by bank law, use our assets or our uh, customers' deposits. Uh, in fact, there is no money anymore because they took it away. And so we're going to do that, and you're going to pay us for 30 years on a loan that we never made. You made it with your signature. And that's according to new money, and I bet you thought, uh, the new money mechanics. And uh, it, so th- these things all add up to a, a two- or three-step process to get this set up for defense in court. And, in, and we'd like to do it as an offensive action rather than wait to be sued and be the defendant. The plaintiff always has the upper hand. And, of course, that's very important when you're dealing with judges who uh, are compensated by the mortgage companies and the banks uh, for their, some of their salaries. So we've we got to get everything we can in. The second thing we do is, is ask for a qualified written request. A QWR, as it's known, uh, demands the things that Bob mentioned in accounting of the money. And uh, if they can't account for that, there's another reason we have to stand in court and say, I never got a loan. So no, I, I didn't default because I never received a loan of money because there was no money and it was just a computer transaction on their books that said they set up an account without my knowledge in, in my name. They withdrew from that or, or withdrew from their account and deposited to my account money and that could not happen because there is none. So uh, the, the process goes as uh, Bob was mentioning. We are, everybody, if they have not done it, is uh, the letter of rescission right away. We don't charge anything for that. We do a qualified written request, and most people will do it themselves. We can prepare the qualified written request if somebody is incapable, but we don't charge for that. Uh, we certainly don't uh, charge as uh, typically you would understand because we don't accept payments from people. Uh, all, uh, it's important to know also that Bob is, has been helping people all his life. But uh, he does have 10 homeless people on his land out in San Bernardino who he supports and uh, other people out of town and out of state even. And uh, the money goes into a humanitarian foundation. So we request donations of certain amounts based on the amount of time that is consumed in order to get these out so we can help the majority of people. And if it does come to that and you need to defend uh, because they're not uh, listening to the law, so we will write a complaint as the, the, the next step and or an action at law, which we prefer to use in uh, the language of the law. That's kind of where we are. Um, we get a lot of help from people sometimes sending us things like that uh, case on Tilla. That was the Jessenowski case in the Supreme Court. We also have recently been rewarded with the uh, Svetvana Ivanova case in uh, 
California Supreme Court that confirmed what this and, and uh, uh, did properly decide based on what the Supreme Court said in uh, the uh, TILA laws. And we also have a, a law that dates back about 144 years. You wouldn't have thought it, but uh, they were very well well aware of what trusts were and how you can leverage them back in 1872 in a decision called Carpenter v. Longan. So all these things add up to a challenge to the standing of the alleged lender, servicer, or trust that claims to have your note because they can't. If it's been deposited to a, a trust, New York State law, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the financial accounting standards, and generally accepted accounting principles all require that note must be destroyed when it's deposited. So how can they have a note and how can they then have standing? So these are all things that we, we do, um, try to help people defend their rights because you've been paying on a house that uh, never had a loan and that the bank has been making millions, literally millions of dollars while you're paying for a loan that was never made. <coughs> uh, one quick example, uh, a good friend of mine uh, had a mortgage for about uh, 600 and something dollars, $100,000 by the time the penalties and fines and everything else added up. He tried to fight it on his own. Uh, he lost in court. Uh, but he did have the presence of mind to get on the Bloomberg system, which tells you if that loan has ever been deposited to a uh, REMIC trust. A REMIC trust is nothing more than a real estate mortgage investment conduit. And they are, as I said, under New York law. They have to follow that law or they can be in criminal violation and uh, have some major problems. Now, he checked his loan and it was found to be in 19 different loan packages. And they had made over $9 million by selling and reselling time and again this loan on the secondary market. How they get away with that? is beyond me, but there are people all over the world willing to invest in these things many times, uh, although they probably don't know what's going on. <laughs> so that's kind of where we are, Ted. Let me add to that. On the um, IRS bill, um, offer to pay, uh, about a year and a half ago, I, I started adding a document that I developed about 18 years ago. Uh, I went to visit my daughter in Idaho, and she had to work during the Christmas holiday, and I took along all the books that I had on how to beat the IRS, and there was a lot of them, and there was just a lot of good stuff in those books. And so I, I made notes, and I came back, and I created a 28-page a document that basically says who I am and who I am not and what I do and what I don't do. A lot of people don't realize the the Internal Revenue Code, which is Title 26, is basically for people who manufacture, distribute, and sell firearms, tobacco, spirits, and explosives. That's not us, but that's what that's basically for. And so in this letter, we point out all the things we don't do. We don't do this. We don't do that. Um, and I, I, asked, I used to ask uh, $1,200 for that, for that letter because I spent many months 
putting that together. And then uh, it's, you know, in the computer, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to throw that in. I'm not going to even charge people for it. When we do an IRS offer to pay, we're going to just throw that in. And since we started that, we don't get any any uh, response at all. They just go away. There's just no way they can overcome all this stuff. And uh, see, a lot of people don't realize that when you work for 40 hours a week and they give you X amount of money for that, that's not income, even though it's money coming in. The term income means from a profit or a gain from a privilege or a franchise or a license. In other words, if you're making McDonald's hamburgers, you have a franchise, just like the state of California calls it the franchise tax board. They're telling you that they're charging you a tax for your franchise, and yet we don't know what our franchise is. And so the um, McDonald's can come in and look over your shoulder during any time during business hours and see that they're getting their cut. Well, so does the franchise tax board. And so does the IRS. So we have to point out to them, we don't, we have money coming in, but it's not income from the franchise. See, if I start making Bob Schaefer hamburgers, I don't have to pay anybody anything for a franchise. I have a right, not a privilege. You can, they can only tax and regulate and control privileges, not rights. Rights are unalienable, and they're endowed to us by our creator, so says the Declaration of Independence. And so we point out that, that we, we have compensation. See, if I was to run into your car with my car and do $2,000 worth of damage, we have bids, and uh, I'd say, well, I'll just cover you. Here's 2000 That's money coming in, but it's not income. It has nothing to do with a franchise. It has to do with compensation. I'm compensating you for your loss. Now, if it doesn't hurt, you're, you can still drive your car around and you say, well, you know, I'd rather go on a vacation. I'm going to take that 2000 and or I'm going to invest it, or I'm going to do whatever I want. You don't have to fix your car, but you have been compensated for your loss. And so compensation is not in, income. If you look at all the original constitutions, they talk about how much pay they're going to pay the judges and the governor and the attorney general and all that for their compensation. They use the word compensation. They don't use the word income or wages at all. So we just use the words that the courts say we should use. And by the way, the, the, uh, there was Bouvier, a, guy, a Frenchman named Bouvier, came up with the first law dictionaries. And there was another guy that came in about balance. So we have Ballantine's law dictionaries. And just before the turn of the last century, blacks came in. One of my one of my workers came to me one day and said, I have I found a dictionary in a, a big dumpster for black people. And he handed it to me and I said, No, that's not for black people. That's the name of the, the guy that that wrote it. So there's Black's Law Dictionary, <clears throat> and we're up to about uh, the 10th edition now. I haven't bought the latest one, but I keep, I have all the Black's Dictionaries except the uh, first and second edition, and I know where I'm going to get those in the very near future. But the Bouvier Law Dictionaries are the best ones to 
get the words and their meaning. See, they keep changing the meanings. That's why they have to have a new edition. Bob? And so if you want to know what a word meant when the law was passed, and you want to do that because the intent of the original lawmaker is critical in understanding how that law could be enforced. And they're going way past that now. So we could we can take them back and say, no, wait a minute. This word, when that law was passed, this word meant this pursuant to Black's Law Dictionary. And so, the, in fact, in 1870, the uh, Congress made a statement that this dictionary has the, the meanings of the words we use in Congress. Well, then they decided that we can't put our blessing on anybody's work anymore. That would violate copyright laws, so they stopped doing that with the 1870. But Bouvier was pretty smart. Forty-four years later, they came out with the 1914 Bouvier Law Dictionary, two volumes that had expanded, but it had the same meanings, but it had 44 years of case law. In other words, that dictionary is annotated with thousands of case law that back up these original meanings. So what people want to do, if you, I'm suggesting you, you go online and try to find a Bouvier 1914 dictionary. I think somebody reproduced those. Uh, I bought mine about 30 years ago, brand new. Somebody was reproducing them, so I don't know if they're still doing that or not. But that, that I think it's a 28, maybe it's a 38-page document of who I am and who I am not and what I do and what I don't do. <clears throat> in other words, there's gambling equipment in there. There's all kinds of stuff that they, they can tax under Title 26, and we just totally back out of all that. <clears throat> and since so, we started Bob, throwing that in, they just give up completely. Can you take a few questions right now? Sure. Uh, Ted, Ted, before you do, let me just add one more thing. I think it's very important. Uh, I forgot because this comes up rarely, but it does arise. And that is the problem people may have with code enforcement. I've got to uh, uh, pat uh, Bob Schaefer on the back a little bit. His, his piece de resistance, I believe, is <laughs> his work on code enforcement. Uh, which is a, a document that reaches 350-some pages. And uh, if you ever want to see if it's successful, you got to drive by Bob's place because he <laughs> used it on the land on where he lives. And uh, nobody ever bothers Bob Schaefer. When the, the police are called, they say, no, I'm sorry, we don't go on Bob, Mr. Schaefer's land. And they leave him strictly alone. Bob's got some great stories. Uh, we have time after some some uh, calls. You might want to stick around and and uh, hear what he has to say about his success there. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll just add this: we beat every code enforcement case that ever comes to us. Every single one. I can take you to more than 20 places within a half hour of my office and show you places where they're building buildings with no permits, no plan check. Um, there's more than one that's been doing that, and the government will not set foot on that land. On about 20 places, they just will not. In fact, one of them <clears throat> had gone so far as to put a lien on a, on a man's land. And when we got through them, they they apologized and they re, they removed their lien without a lawsuit. Okay, any so, more questions? So, if you guys have any, um, what we'd like to do is to open it up people that have particular situations that would like to discuss um, some kind of situation that they're facing 
um, so we can kind of explain how this uh, method may benefit you. Um, so if you have any questions for Bob or John, hit star 8 on your phone. And uh, in the meantime, I have a question. Uh, Bob or John, have you used the offer to pay in dealing with the Oregon Department of Revenue? Not the Oregon, but it would be the same as uh, California Franchise Tax Board. See, we use federal laws. So they're bound by that through their oath of office. Their oath of office says that they will abide by all the, what is called the supremacy clause. So this constitution and all laws made present thereto, and all treaties made or which shall be made, shall be the supreme law of the land, which means it's way up there. You, you can't come in here with your little municipal code or your ordinance or your titles or manuals, state or county or, or city, and overrule the federal constitution. So we, that's where we've spent our time and study and development is in federal law that applies to the, count, to the states and United States Supreme Court decisions that apply all over America. Okay, so uh, how well does that work with state taxing agencies? Is it something they keep sending you a bill and you send them an offer to pay and they get, and they say, okay, you got us, and they go away? No, it wouldn't. It would be nice if it was that easy, but you'd have to send them the offer to pay and then they will default. They'll either default by sending some weak, flimsy letter that's off point, you know, off the shelf letter. They don't know how to respond to it, so they look up their stock answers and they pick one and right. send it to you and we point to them that that's off point. We we didn't even go there. So they'll either do that or they'll just ignore it. So then within a short amount of time then we send them an offer to pay excuse me, a notice of default and election to accept their discharge. So that it's in the record, okay. now, and we we demand they put it in the in the file, so that if they ever come after us, we can we can use that against them. Now, if if the state, county, or city ever sues us, we immediately you have to do it timely. We remove it into the United States District Court where they understand federal law. Now, with they don't have their bought and paid for judge ruling in their favor or right. commissioner, they have judges, commissioners hearing officers and uh, referees that they get paid under the table. I hate to tell you this, but I just found this out probably three years ago. But uh, in California, the judges uh, became state uh, state officers instead of county judges in about 2000. And uh, yet the county pays them money. Now, what do they pay money for? They don't they get all their pay from the from the state government. Well, it's for their petty cash. It's just a little little nice little thing to help you guys out. But it's like between twenty thousand and one hundred and forty thousand dollars, depending on how you rule for us at the state and county level. So the the judges realize, you know, if I if I rule against these people, then my my little petty cash gift is not going to be as much as if I rule for them. And uh, we can tell how... We also 
go after the judge's oath of office, their bond, and their uh, statement of economic interest. Now, this is one reason you don't want to ever work for the government. You have to, by law, fill out a Form 729 or Form 730 statement of economic interest, depending on whether you're elected or appointed. And in there, you have to spill your guts and tell them where everything is that you own. You know, my boat is parked over at this harbor. I have this mountain cabin up in this area. My, uh, I, I earn this much money from the state. Um, my bank account has less than 10000 or more than 10000 It's over here in this, in this bank or savings and loan. That way, you see, you, you, you know where you can, after you're suing, you can go, get, you can go tell the sheriff to collect, collect the money. But guess what? Their donation from the county is never on there. In other words, they have all this money under the table that's not there. So how do you know how much money the county pays them? It's very easy. You go to the county treasurer, and it's it's public record. So we ask the, the treasurer, how much money did you pay this judge in the last five years per year? And you can see. And then you look at the statement of economic interest, well, it doesn't show up there at all. Well, that's a fraud. So, okay, when, we sue, so when we sue a judge, we bring all their stuff out. We found judges that, that forged their, their oath of office. There's all kinds of corruption going on in the courthouse. So um, back to the uh, Oregon Revenue people. If if we do the, the whole offer to pay and then the default, and then we demand they put it into the record, then what? Well, they will probably back off until next year. Then you give them an offer to pay next year. And, and if they back off, that's all you want, really. But if okay. you want but if you want to, you can sue them. But I try, to, I try not to sue people unless I have to make making a, a, a note, you know, draw the line in the sand, and then I'm not afraid to sue judges or anybody. Okay. Um, we got somebody on the board, Bob, that's uh, on the chat. Dang it. Let me see if I can read this to you. If I understand the basic steps, it's offer to pay. How do you require authority to require that? Is everyone required that it's either birds chirping and a default presentment after 20 days and game over? or they come back with an evasive reply, and then we go offense and file a suit compelling them to follow their own rules. Yeah, the offer to pay authority is in the Uniform Commercial Code. Now, there's there's some judges and and people display their ignorance when they say, well, we don't recognize the Uniform Commercial Code. Well, that's like I say, they're demonstrating their ignorance. See, every state has its own state commercial code. So in California, we have the California Commercial Code, but they don't ever use it. They have they have adopted the Uniform Commercial Code. And if you go into the Secretary of State's office, which I've done many times, it's you know eight, ten hours from where I live, but I've been there. I go to Sacramento regularly. You get off the elevator on the third floor and right across the on the wall. And I've got a photograph of it somewhere. It says, the Uniform Commercial Code floor. So the third floor of the Secretary of State's office is the Uniform Commercial Code floor. They are bound by that through their oath of office. 
So they cannot step sideways on that and say it doesn't apply to me. And in there we, is, is the offer to pay and, and defaults and all that stuff. And we, and we are so generous. We put that in our memorandum of law. By the way, we use everything at the common law. Um, we don't use, we don't sue them with a complaint. The complaint is under Roman civil law. We use an action at law, and that's at the common law, and that invokes the Seventh Amendment, where it says, in suits at the common law, you have a right to a trial by jury. We don't want a jury trial. We want a trial by jury, and there's a huge difference. We've talked about it many times in the past. And so the, uh, they're held to their, to their oath of office uh, when we get involved, and we use that against them. Okay. So I want to put the call out right now. If, does anybody on the call have any judgments or similar situations, student loans? Would you say student loans, Bob? Yes. If you have student loans or you're facing debt collectors or anything like that. If you have any of that situation, uh, hit star eight on the phone so we can talk about it and, and work something out for you. Okay, guest 10. Go ahead. Guest 10, your phone just muted and unmuted. You raised your hand, so go ahead. Uh, I'm going to take a guess that I've guessed 10. I, I didn't yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. Right. So uh, I'm actually um, uh, overlooking the uh, the student loans that my daughter has taken out, and uh, it's kind of odd the way they came on. You know, you, you're kind of pressed for uh, the cash to get it done, and they've already got her halfway enrolled, and it's like, you know, get this loan out. So I, I tried to sign up with just her name, and then I suddenly realized the emergency uh, of not getting it if if she didn't qualify. So I attached a family member through a, what's it, a consignment. <clears throat> and um, in doing so, uh, they accepted the loan. And I guess I spoke to somebody further down the line. They said, oh, you, sh- you didn't have to do that. It would have been an automatic thing for um, your daughter to get the loan approved. It's you know, insured and blah, blah, blah. So they wouldn't have really contested it. But now uh, my daughter's graduated and isn't quite making, uh, well, when I say that, she's not working yet. She uh, she had a psychology degree, and she's finding it in this economy a little difficult to put that to work. So um, you know, we went, I think, a month or two, paying some minimum, and then they sent an email that they would give her forbearance and then saying that, they then said, just push the button on this email, which was my email, because that's what had been provided. So I pushed the button on it, and forbearance came up, and now suddenly the, the payment minimum that <clears throat> had been coming up, which was $50 uh, a month for one of the loans, and hadn't gotten to a settlement on the how much we should be paying on the second loan, uh, came due, but now we're getting requests something like that, sort of 186 for one loan and 196 or something to that effect on the second loan. So it's a, it's a little bit pressing right now because um, due, due to injuries and so on, I was forced to early early retirement. Uh, I'm living just off of Social Security, which today is about a hundred, excuse me, a thousand three hundred dollars a month. It's pretty pretty tough to pay back loans. That sure. Day. 
that amount of money. And <clears throat> just wondering. Well, your your daughter is not alone. There are thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that got their degrees and they can't find work because our economy has been driven into the ground by our presidents. I, I, I say that in front of God and everybody. I, I, can't, bl- can't blame all that on Bush anymore. But he's had eight years almost to get this straightened out, and um, that's the way it is. Well, anyway, the money that they loaned to her was created as new money. They didn't loan her any taxpayers' money. They didn't loan her any depositors' money or from a pool of loan money. They created the new money from her signature or maybe your signature, but it was all done with a signature. And so they're not out a red cent if you don't ever pay them anything. So we set them up. We we make an offer to pay. We want to get this cleared up. We make it sound really good for you. You know, if it ever does go to court, you want to demand a trial by jury. And if they do take you to court, then you immediately remove it from the state court into the federal court where they understand the supremacy clause and the county check and all that stuff. And then we just use their law against them. They're just up a creek. And they know it. You know, I'm going to just give a side story here. I, I had at one time I had four state contractors licenses. I mean, I've been in construction all my life. I'm almost 75. Um, I have a general contractor's license, a painting and decorating contractor's license. By the way, if you have a general, that doesn't let you do everything. You have to do at least three things on a job or you can't use the, the general. So I did a lot of painting, so I had to have a painting and decorating contractor's license. I had a mobile home specialty contractor's license because I set a lot of mobile homes and I serviced a lot of mobile homes. And then I was one of the first to have a solar energy contractor's license. But 40, excuse me, 36 years ago, I realized I didn't need a privilege to contract. I have a right to contract. Right in the Constitution. Don't bother me with a privilege. Yeah. If I if I treat somebody badly, they still can sue me. They don't need a contractor's license for to come after me. Well, this one lady who used to work for me, she had me do earthquake stabilization on a double-wide mobile home that she was inheriting. And she wrote me a check, said the check will be good next week when my inheritance comes through. It was for 3150 bucks. And I got the check, I went in, and I cashed it, and I paid my bills, and I got a notice that the check had bounced. Well, I'd already used the money. <clears throat> and so... Um, she was trying to keep me off her back, so she turned me into the contractor's license board. <laughs> and the guy came out and to my office, and my secretary was over there at the computer, and so we both witnessed this. <clears throat> and uh, he said, you can't contract without a license. And uh, you're, I said, well, I don't contract for enough to trigger the need to have a license. In those days, you could contract for up to $500 without a license. So he pulled out this contract, and he said, $3,150. I said, show me the dollar sign. So he looked for it. He said, well, it's not there. I said, that's because I know what a dollar is. I don't charge dollars. And I said, can you define a dollar for me? 
the reason I'm telling you this story is because this is a real world it's face to face experience. So he pulled out his wallet, he pulled out a Federal Reserve note that says one dollar on it. And I said, That's not a dollar, that's a note. That's an IOU, that's an evidence of the federal debt. He said, Well it says one dollar on it. I said, Well if I write one dollar on a piece of toilet paper, will that make it a dollar? He says, Well no. I said, then that's not a dollar. I said, even a silver certificate that we don't have since 1965, that would be the Coinage Act of 1965, which took us off the silver standards. You haven't been able to pay for anything since 1965. <clears throat> I said, a silver certificate clearly says this certifies that there is on deposit in the Treasury of the United States $1 or 5 or 10 whatever, payable to the bearer on demand. In other words, it's a dollar bill. You put the bill in your billfold. See how important words are? It's a bill. You you could take it to the treasury way over there and present the bill for payment, and they'd pay the bill with a silver coin. The guy got up and walked out and never came back. He had nothing further to say. He had him. <laughs> That's cool. And my secretary right. said, well, my secretary said, was the, was the customer unhappy with the job Mr. Schaefer did? And he says, no. <laughs> I says, of course not. I do perfect work. I've been doing this for 56 years. So um, does that address your issue, caller? Um, well, I'm hoping that based on the, the question that I'd asked, maybe he could tell me, is there a pre-recorded um uh, subject matter of how I can do uh, I, I guess it's accepted for value for this student loan well, you know what, what let, you would let, do? Me, let me interrupt you here accepted for value works sometimes and usually does not work correct the, uh, the offer to pay is a setup you do the offer to pay and then you give them the notice of, of default and your election to accept their discharge and it should go away. I didn't say it would. I said it should. But they, you can always flash that at them and say, look, I made an offer to pay a year ago, and you guys defaulted. Why are you bothering me? I want you to sue me. I'll, I'll let a judge tell you to go away. So um, what you would do, um, you can contact me directly if you'd like. Um Kish at mailhouse.com, K-I-S-H at mailhouse.com, or you can go to youhavetheright.com, and you'll see the little banner on the right for land patent coaching. You click on that, and uh, you can um, at least get signed up for the coaching, but I'd recommend that you contact me first. Okay, and so uh, at kish at mailhouse.com? Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, Kish, is there a, a button or is that is that your email? Uh, yeah, that's my public email. Okay, I got it. Until got it. it gets too public. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Okay, um, anybody else has a has a situation that they'd like to address? They'd like to bring up? Uh, hit star eight on your phone. We also have some folks on the chat. If you are on the chat. And you have a question, say, I do. And so I think we got somebody from uh, Orange County. The phone just unmuted. Go ahead. Orange County, you had your hand raised. 
Go ahead. You check your mute button on your phone. Oh, yes. <laughs> hi, Chad, Bob, and hi. John. Uh, hi, Dana. Um, Dana. I have a question. Yeah, hi. I have a question hi, regarding... Hello. Good to talk regarding... to you again. Thank you. Likewise. Um, Bob, this statement of economic interest, I had asked, for a judge's, excuse me, a commissioner's oath and bond. I called the county tax treasurer where I thought that would be, and they said, we don't, that's been moved from here. We don't do that here. This is in Riverside. They uh, said, we don't know where you go. So I called the clerk of court, and they said, get a hold of the court executive office. I sent the request there. I kind of did a Richard Fine type of request, asked for all the judicial benefits, all the cafeteria plans, 401k, any benefits or income that came from state, city, or federal to this commissioner. Um, and all they sent me was the oath, which was not the full oath like you talk about, and a blanket um, statement for their employees, which is we do not, they do not have bonds. They have employee insurance, and they just gave generic information on a 401k and sick pay and that kind of thing. What I'm trying to do is get the proper request into the proper place to find out what her benefits and income really is. Um, because it is family court, and I I understand they get a 66% kickback from federal for every case they prosecute into their system. Um, And I know they are all paid by the same entity, the prosecutor, the um, paid subcontractor commissioner, as well as the bailiffs and all that. They're all on the same side. But I I don't know if that's a FOIA request, um, that's kind of what I used before, and that's only how far I got. And what is the difference between a FOIA, a Public Records Act, and a Statement of Economic Interest? What are the differences in these three things? In yeah, California? You, you can use FOIA. Um, you don't have to. Uh, if, uh, it's supposed to be public information. And if you can't get it from the administrative office of the court, <clears throat> and in Riverside, it's um, on the east side, um, in, in an addition to the old historic, beautifully restored courthouse, there's the administrative office back there. <clears throat> or you can get some of those from the Secretary of State, but you want to do it all in writing so that they have to respond in writing. And when they respond in writing, they have to tell you that we don't have a bond on this judge because. Now, you're, now you, you've got evidence against them because the law requires they have a bond. They can be self-bonded, but you want to, you want them to tell you all your answers. In other words, their response is going to be Exhibit A. They said this. They they admitted this. So, <clears throat> yeah. But FOIA is more powerful if you can't get it any other way. Okay. Now, regarding the offer to pay, in my case. I sent a bond, and I UCC'd it and assigned it to the court for the the family case. 
what the court is saying is that you don't pay us, you pay the family agency. But the point is, is the court is the one who gave me the order. They ordered me to pay. So when I submit um, settlement and satisfaction entirely for the case, how can they say they cannot receive it for the case? See, that's the reason we use the pay word. It's an offer to pay. Bob, can um, I interrupt? Um, can I interrupt for a moment? Uh, sure. Dana, when they when they sent you that correspondence back saying, oh, you don't pay us, did they send back the original instrument that you sent them? They've had the instrument over two months. I sent two original instruments. I sent <laughs> one directly to uh, the local agency here in Riverside. I sent another one up to California State Disbursement Unit in Sacramento. Uh, excuse me. I sent one to the court here for the local agency and one did, to California. Did they return both agencies, the original? No, they did not. I have the green cards in hand, and both separate agencies are saying <laughs> they never got it and they lost it. They're both well, you, see, you, you, you can't just say, oh, well, they lost it. You've got to keep hammering them. You send them another one and send them another one, and you keep on them. It's the squeaky wheel thing. I am. I've gone through about 15 phone calls. I've got, I'm on my fourth letter, and they're big, pretty big strong. Mistake, big, big mistake. Uh, you don't do phone calls at all. See, what, okay. you and, what you and somebody discuss over the phone is only hearsay. It's not admissible. There's a, there's an old maxim of law that says if it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen. Yes, so you can, you can say what he said and what she said and he said and she said all you want, but it's not quite admissible. That's why you do everything in writing. The California State Disbursement Unit will not give me, I was calling to get a name of an internal office, CFO, CEO, accounting manager, somebody like that. They refuse to give names. Well, see, but that's not anything you can use against them because it's all in, it was done over the phone. You've got to do it in writing. Now you've got something in writing that says we're not going to give you that information. What I have done after the, the few phone calls I've made is I immediately fax a letter or send a letter certified that says, per our conversation, here's what you said and what I said. I've at least done that. Well, but see, that was still one-sided. Did they respond to it? No, they're not responding They, they didn't respond, so you have nothing. That's why you want to do everything in writing to start with. They have to respond in writing. And, and I'm then, requiring them to respond through a third-party witness notary every time. That's really good. If you can find a notary that will do that, um, I, I'm looking for one right now, a notary presentment, a notary witness. That's really powerful. But yes, a lot I've of notaries, got one. I've got one here in San Bernardino. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. Who understands yeah, these processes. She's really? very good. Yeah. Dana, get with me. We need that person. Okay. Yep. She understands it well, um, and we'll do affidavit of mailing and affidavits of non-response. She <clears throat> prefers to be called a third-party witness, not a third-party presenter, custodian of records, or anything like that. She does not want to do that. 
She wants to um, stay very independent, which is good, and be a third-party witness. So, By the way, uh, um, I have, I, I just want to throw this out. Somebody sent me a really dynamite document. I don't know who who drafted it. It was really good, but it had a lot of cleanup, and that's my specialty for my 36 years. I, I've been cleaning it up now for several days and making the right changes. I'm making it more powerful than it was. And the story was that when, the, when they sent their defensive one out, it stopped foreclosures. And I, I can see why it would. And so now I've got it a whole lot better. So that's one thing that John and I are going to be uh, offering in the future is yeah. uh, this really, really powerful letter. It just really sets them back. There's no way they can respond to it. It's, 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 a, it's not an offer to pay, but it's, uh, it's um, I guess you might say it's, it's a setup. It's a major, major setup. We're going to see in the near future how, how if it works as good as the, they said it was. But uh, I can see that it will. Just like my that's other letter for the IRS, awesome. the 28 pages, this is about that same length, and it's so detailed, and it, it points out all the... See, what happened here, <clears throat> in, the, in during the Depression... The banks ran out of money. Nobody was making any deposits, and they couldn't loan money. And so they got together, and they said, you know, we we can make a lot of money with interest if we just have some money to loan. We've got to figure out how we can make create new money that, without it being backed by digging it out of a mountain uh, with gold and silver. So they passed the uh, Promissory Note Act of 1933 where they can create m- new money out of a signature. And mm-hmm. that's what we, we that's what we use right now against them is the fact that they didn't really loan us anything. Yes. Well, it, it, with with the with the negotiable instrument bond that I sent to the court superior court here for the case. Okay, um, I can and and there's, uh, if, and there's if you're on a, a lot. If you're on a speakerphone, I need you to get off the speakerphone because I can just barely yeah. understand you. Okay. With the, negotiable in, yeah, with the negotiable instrument that I sent to the court to fully satisfy and settle the case, they're, of course, saying um, they lost it, although they are admitting they had that employee who signed for it. Uh, they can't deny that. I've already brought the postmaster into this to investigate, to get further evidence <laughs> and all that. However, when I send my letters to the court, they're not filing them in the case. By letter number two, I added, because I send them directly to the clerk of court, and the case number is on it. The second letter, I added a court header page in there, and I put on it, demand to file all pages, front and back, because I sign the back of them, too. So they can't okay, it. Let, turn it over me, and say there's nothing let me, there. Let me interrupt you and tell you what you're doing wrong. You cannot mm-hmm. send a judge a letter, even to the clerk. Everything has to be a document. That's why our offer to pay is a document. And then you have to you have to serve the opposition with that document. So everybody has due process notice of what you're doing. But when you when you send a letter to the judge, either just to his courtroom or to the clerk, that's called an ex parte uh, letter, and they won't even read it. 
It's hmm. not. It's, they don't have to read it. It's 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 uh, it's, unle- it's illegal. You know, that's a procedure that is totally wrong. So you make everything into a document. You file the document with the clerk of court. You put his name on it. So the our offer to pay goes to the clerk of the court, and then it's got the the, the uh, case number on it and the judge's name. So they will eventually get to him as a document. Then he can look in the last page and see the proof of service. Yeah, it went to the opposition, and or the or the district attorney or whatever. So, see, this is called due process of law. Everybody gets notice of what everybody's doing all, at all times. Okay. It's pretty very fair. Okay. So I should be noticing. I should be also sending a copy to the local agency as well as the court and walking down and filing it in there myself. And what yeah. it will be, the documents that are in it started with an yeah. affidavit. To here's the another. Court. Here's another suggestion. Uh, if you're going to be at the common law like we are, you don't make any motions, petitions, applications, or requests because those grant jurisdiction. And if you're yes. challenging their jurisdiction, you don't want to grant them jurisdiction with a motion, petition, application, or request. So that's a finger in the chest. Yes. I'm giving you notice. It's called a common law notice and demand. Yes, that does not I give them jurisdiction. Entitled. There is nothing in there that they can deny. You can't deny a notice and demand like you can one of the other four. Yes, I have titled them notice, even affidavit of notice, my first one. And it's when I had a notary sign, you know, under my name on the jurat and then the acknowledgement. Before that, I wrote uh, use of notary does not um, mean I'm getting jurisdiction in any way. So I've got a disclaimer there. Affidavits are very powerful. Yes. Well, um, at this point, everything's being ignored. And um, so you may have uh, brought up a point that that uh, that I've been missing, and um, walking it down there and, and and like the letters that I have sent have a, have a picture of the copy of the negotiable instrument, everything sent to them, all of the, the mailing registered and certified receipts, all of the UCCs filed on it, assigning it to the court for the case because of the order, a copy of the order. Everything is there. And uh, I put a header page demanding they file it into the case. So I've never given them jurisdiction from the beginning. I've gone in as the living person um, telling them I am not that fiction. But at this point, I've come in as a third-party intervener, you know, just trying to get this over with, a third-party intervener for whatever name they're calling the debtor. That's and a good position. I'm pay. Pardon me. Third party yeah. intervener is a very good is a good a good position to be coming into court on. Yes, and and I believe I'm almost ready to go to a default letter now, um, with the clerk of court letter. No, not a let, not a letter. You're right. A default document. Notice. Notice. Yes. Yeah. And um, See, let me, I, I believe I should put a. Uh, a fee schedule in there as well to be paid in silver and gold for damages if they don't respond because regarding UCC once they have received an instrument like Tad was saying and kept it after 72 hours let me know of no defect on it whatsoever and have not returned it the debt 
is discharged. So the UCC, you just said that they go you have to You have to claim that, that discharge now. You can't just think they're going to, that they're going to assume it's discharged. I have, per Good. Title 1295A2, HJR 192, and multiple UCC, like 3603, and many things like that, as well as saying it. This debt has been discharged, and I want an accounting statement now showing um, where we're at. And I also told them to, to uh, put in any amount, interest charges, fees, anything they want, up until the minor is, 18 years old for another five years from now, and they have they have this instrument. A an original was also sent to the U.S. Treasury and California State Controller, and they all do the accounting of the debits and the credits. So one of them is going to say, "Hey, we got this here." There's six total that have been sent out original bonds with blank amounts with notes on them saying, "Fill out whatever you want." This case is satisfied, settled and discharged per these, you know, codes and all. And um, it's been signed. I gave my signature. I even put an R in a circle with 2016 after it because it's all registered, bonded, satisfied, settled. It's done. And they're trying to say, we don't have it. We lost it. And I have the green card. And there's also a Title 18, I think it's 2071, that says, any clerk who takes a document, uh, and they become a trustee, a fiduciary of that document. And if they lose it, mutilate it, um, destroy it, anything, the debt, or they're liable. The debt's discharged. They are. They're liable, yep. and they can get multiple years and all these fines or both. It's and I, I warned them of that in one letter. I, I put that title yeah. in there. By the way, that that, that whole uh, citation you just gave is in my 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 new letter that I'm writing, uh, or that I'm. Uh, That's I'm beautiful. Well, yeah, this is what's happened. So damages are coming. So I believe a notice of a fee schedule, payable in silver and gold, and all that, at this point would be um, a good idea because if they do not find those bonds, I want to go after damages at this point. Mm-hmm. Because and when you do, if you, ever, if you ever sue them for damages, by the way, a lot of people don't know the difference between injuries and damages. Hmm. You 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 are suffering an injury and you sue them for compensation in the form of damages. In other words, what they pay you is in damages. So you sue them for your injuries and you want the damages to be paid in the money of account of the United States. You don't say what that is at this point. But you can always go back and say, look, I said I wanted the money of account of the United States, which says in all court proceedings, so it's available here. And I want that $100,000 in silver dollars. Are they able to say the only way you can sue us is you have to go to that government claims site and then they can, you can only get up to a certain amount. Do you know what I'm talking about? I forget the name of it. Uh, I'm, my hearing is so bad I'm not picking up every word. I heard something there, about a claim. There is yeah, there United, are agencies. The, the United it, States it, Court. There's a United States Court of Federal Claims. It's got both the United States mentioned and federal in, this, in its name. The United States Court of Federal Claims. 
Bob. And then they ride the circuit. They'll come to you, and you can get their rules okay. of court on the Internet. So, Bob, okay. I think her question is, can they demand that you sue them in a particular way? Like, there's an agency, there, there's an agency just for government claims. And they award only, you know, for that damage you can only get ten thousand. For this damage you can only get five thousand. Okay, I, I need I need Ted to translate that for me. Okay. I can hear his voice. I can't hear your Sorry. voice. What What did she say, Ted? Can Can you um, say that again for me, Dana? Yes. Can they Can they legally steer me to the agency, I forget the name, that says if you're going to sue government or government officials or agencies, you have to sue, you have to make a claim with this agency. And for claim A, they'll only pay up to 10000 Claim B, they'll okay, only okay, okay. give you 5000 So, Bob, what she's saying is that they're, they're trying to steer her. Instead of a court, they're trying to steer her to okay. a a a government agency that handles claims against the government. And, and they're well, trying okay. to say uh, that that's got, the only... And, there's, and it's limited damage. And it's limited yeah. damages. Okay, you have to understand there are two sides of the government. There's the Slavacy side, which is where all your civil codes, code of civil procedure, um, exchequer law, um, a lot of different laws are over there. There's only one kind of law on the other side, and that's, that's the law of the land is the common law. That's what we use. We don't, uh, we're not bothered by statutes. The statutes are over on the law of the sea. They have statutes of limitations. They have all the procedural stuff over there. We don't go there. We hold their feet to the fire at the common law. There's no statute of limitations under the common law, especially with fraud. So that you want to switch your thinking to, to and, and ignore that and point out this, okay. that you're not in that that side of the court. You're over here uh, under the law of the land, and you can you can you can go back ten years, by the way, and that's even using their law called RICO, and you can yeah. use their records to go after um, find out who who all the other people are that they messed with. There are people who have committed suicide, there's divorces, there's heart attacks. I just had a guy call me in the hospital. He had a heart attack after the court thing, and he was in there, and they said he did the right thing because you were going to be dead if you haven't been in here. We rushed him right into surgery, and they did it. But they don't care, you see. Um, No. So what I'm saying is we have to to, uh, fight these people. Yes. And and use use our law as as well as their law if we if we can make them work together. Yes, I I agree. They're damaging so many people, and those that dare to fight, um, you know, they they come up with new things and, and new threats, and it, it's all an evil system at its root, designed to to capture you as a debtor and attach you and never let you out. You have to learn your rights or you have no rights. Uh, That's right. You, won't get it, you will not get it through an attorney. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, Bob, how do we handle Dana's situation? Dana, give slowly, please. 
how do we handle Dana's situation? I'm at my final letters. I just want to clinch them good. I, I didn't hear everything, so I can't say what I would do. I heard a, a, a little okay. of it, and I commented while I did it. But uh, I, a general com, a general comment is that you want to be the squeaky wheel. You don't want to ever give up. You want to spend their money. You want to sue them, let them go pay their lawyer $200 an hour. Their lawyers charge 200 outside to get 350 to 550 and we're going to spend them, spend their money. You know, I even put it in some of my documents. Are you willing to spend uh, two to six hundred thousand dollars to see if I'm right or wrong? You know, I I think I'm right. I don't do frivolous lawsuits, but we're going to take you to Washington D.C. and that's not counting the money that I'm going to get from a big judgment out of you, because I'm going after your bond and I'm going after a whole lot of stuff here. And they somehow decide to maybe look the other way and leave me alone. And so you have to get that same. I help people get that reputation by 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 hammering on them. You've got to be the squeaky wheel that says, I'm not going away. You know, like I'll tell an officer at the curb, you know, we're going to get to know each other much better in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. Years? Yeah, well, this isn't going to go away real fast. I'm in it for the duration. I'm suing you. I'm going to sue your supervisor. I'm going to sue your training officer. I'm going to sue the board of supervisors for the whole county, or the city city council for the whole city. You violated your oath of office. You mm-hmm. didn't even take the right oath of office. You don't you don't have any standing to be talking to me here. You haven't sworn the the oath of office is mandated by the Constitution, Article Twenty, Section Three, Paragraph One through Five, and neither mm-hmm. has. Neither has anybody else. You're all going to go down. Well, okay. for, what well. It's, for what it's worth, I have also, you know, I have uh, UCC leaned my authenticated birth certificate. I have UCC leaned all of the court cases from my divorce case where it started years ago to the child support case to the appeals case that was dismissed. Um, everything, uh, I have uh, leaned them up. And I've leaned up all of my debtor names from the name I was born with to the, the old married name to my current name. And I have sent the court proof of all this. Uh, and I have put liens on the payments I made to them and assigned those bonds to them through the UCCs. I, there's just no excuse for any of this. Well, from what I picked up here a little bit while you were talking, you put in all this information and they ignored it. It didn't work. Well, you set them up, and you're going to get your wins in the appellate court. The lower courts are all bought and paid for, and they're going to say no, denied, because most of the people say, oh, well, and they go away. And you've got to be that one that says, no, this is not going to go away. I'm going to go up on appeal now if you don't have the money to appeal, they have a waiver of fees. Now, the first time, let me say this, the first time you submit a waiver of fees, it will be denied. Just count on it. But, you like, one time I was really broke. I was helping so many homeless people, and I just didn't have any money, and I was down in the Los Angeles court, and I did my waiver of fees, and she said, well, it's denied. I said, nothing has changed. I'm still broke. I don't have any money to, for filing fees. Please mm-hmm. make them. Submit it again. 
for me. And she said, okay, have a chair over there. So I sat, sat down, and she called me a little bit later. She said, well, it was denied again. I said, nothing has changed. I'm still broke. I, I can't say, oh, well, here's the money. I need this file today. Can you please submit, resubmit this again? She said, okay, have a chair over there. And about, and this is what I'm telling this, is, 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 is so you understand that most people say, oh, well, here's the money. Well, if you don't have any money, you're not lying. When you say, I don't have any money, I need this file. Keep submitting it. So I And you did down. it three times. And after the it, third time, uh, you got it. On the third time, a guy walked by in a suit. He was obviously a judge. He eyeballed me up and down as he kept walking. I was not sitting there in my top hat and tails. In my, you know, I was in my street clothes. I didn't look real wealthy, and I wasn't. And she called me up about 10 minutes later and said, well, they've accepted your waiver of fees. So well, there's have- something they say about a three-time rule that goes on in court. Do you know anything about that three times thing? Well, I just proved it to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, see, All most right. people give up. I mean, I was with one couple, and they wanted to do the waiver of fees, and it was going to be $400 without it. And uh, she says, uh, well, if we go ahead and pay the $400, will they, will they give it back to us if they... And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. If you have $400, you better pay it. They're not going to give anything back. We only do that when there's no other choice. You either have it and can get it and you should pay it, or you don't have it and you can't get it and you're not going to be able to get it. And so you do. The law is set up for people like that. When I filed my appeal... When I filed my appeal, they 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 said your fee waiver has been um, accepted. I mean, no cost. Yeah, and then they I, dismissed they dismissed the appeal because they said I did not pay for the transcript. I checked to be in the case. Well, you have to make them. <laughs> uh, you, you've already given them jurisdiction, so you make a motion to reconsider because you can say your own office waived the fees. Uh, it's I, true. I, I already did, got the remitter. It's true I didn't pay because I'm broke, and your office, somebody in your office waived the fees, and so uh, you dismissed it because I didn't pay the fees. I need a motion, I'm making a motion to reconsider the, the dismissal for that reason. Yes. I sure All have. right, so, hey, Dana. Uh, yeah. I'm going to give you a call here in just a little bit. Okay. So. Sounds good. All right, Bob. All right. Thank you. You bet, Bob. Yes. I think it's time to wrap things up. Okay. So you guys um, offer to pay. Uh, contact us through the website. You have the right dot com, uh, um, or you can email me directly, Kish K I S H at mailhouse dot com. And uh, let's see what we can do for you. So I think for right now, nobody else has any more questions, and there's no chat on the on the board, so why don't we call it an evening? Okay, thank you and good night, everybody. Thank you, John. I mean, thank you, Bob, and thank you, John. Good night. Good night.